And especially for somebody who might, you know, be from a bunch of different cultures or hold bicultural identities and maybe not feel home anywhere and feel like a global nomad. And so it's kind of like, mm. ooh, mm. you're you going know? straight there. You're it's going like, straight I don't that. know. Like, I don't know where I'm from. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr. And I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. What's going on, family? Another great episode of Human Eyes is upon your beautiful ears. We're here with Miss Nadia. And before we begin, I just want to have a disclaimer that, again, these are conversations because of a relationship that has been formed. So please make sure you do the work to form the relationship before you dive into the difficult work um, that is doing this work. You know, um, it is difficult. It is heartfelt. Um, it could be frustrating, but it's definitely necessary. So let's get to work. Awesome. Nadia Ali, welcome. Thank you so much. So uh, happy to be here. So happy to have you here. Um, we have Nadia here today to explore this idea of when good intentions go wrong. And um, so Nadia is a colleague and friend, lives here in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Idea Labs, which is a mission-driven consulting firm advancing equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace and across communities through training, leadership coaching, and organizational strategy. And she has over 20 years of experience spanning program management, coalition building, leadership development, community outreach, and health and racial equity. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You doing great today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. It's nice outside. Happy Monday. <laughs> Happy Monday. Let's get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this idea of when good intentions go wrong, it's something that like we have been talking about in terms of like, what's the current pulse on like, you know, because there's so many threads of DEI conversation right now. And um, we have been talking about, you know, people with good intentions and from my perspective, I often think about the like, you know, did I say something wrong? Did I did I mess something up? And what you had been talking to us this morning is like just the the mental um, load of being on the receiving end of like, oh, like this is so like that did not land, and you know whatever that like that was offensive, like that was <laughs> that really added to my day in a certain way, and. Um, so I'd love to kind of explore that topic with you, but first I'd love to just hear about you and your background and how you ended up in Colorado and like how you ended up focusing on DEI yeah. and, and all that. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so I'll take it way back. So basically way back. I was, so I identify in terms of like the various identities I hold. Uh, I identify as a Pakistani American Muslim woman and I would say I'm visibly Muslim because I wear hijab. Mm -hmm. And um, I was born in Texas in the late 1970s. And so and then I was there till I was about seven. And then 
my family moved to New Jersey, and I grew up in central New Jersey in a small town outside of Princeton. Mm -hmm. And it was an incredibly diverse, multicultural area. And so for me, that felt very natural, just being sort of engrossed and embedded in so much rich cultural diversity. I just thought that was the norm. I really thought, you know, that was what all of America looked like until I realized it it wasn't. Um, And, you know, I grew up traveling a lot with my family. I have a really big extended family. So I would, you know, um, every other year go and spend time in Pakistan and, you know, in various parts of East Asia and Europe. And so I feel extremely uh, privileged to have been able to do that. And so I've had the opportunity to just be really, you know, inside of and have have the opportunity to, and to really spend time in a lot of different cultures and amongst a lot of different types of people. And, um, you know, I also ended up going to college on the East Coast as well and lived in a lot of different major cities like New York City and Montreal and Philadelphia. And then I would say about six years ago, I moved out to Boulder, Colorado um, with my uh, husband and two kids for work purposes. And I moved out here sight unseen, and it was a complete culture shock for me, you know, having lived on the East Coast and traveling, you know, I had traveled other places across the country, like West Coast and in the South, and I just always came across a ton of diversity. But when I moved out to Boulder, and I remember, I just have this really vivid memory of like, landing in Boulder, and just like looking to my left and looking to my right and being like, Oh, okay, like, it's just me who looks like me now. here. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, it was really interesting. I know a lot of people who have moved out to Boulder are maybe considered transplants from other areas. Mm-hmm. But I know there's also a large community within Boulder who, you know, has a gro- who have grown up here, been raised here and just lived here. And so I, I would say, you know, the first few years when I first came out here, it almost felt like I was constantly justifying my existence. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I was dropping my daughter off to school, people, you know, just engaging in casual conversation with parents like, oh, my gosh, like, where are you from? And I'd be like, I'm from New Jersey. And they would say no. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why are we why are we dismissing where I'm from? Like. I'm like, I'm from Jersey. No, 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 you're not. No, where are you really from? And I'm like, I'm from Jersey. (laughs) But my family is originally from Pakistan and India. And then people are like, oh, okay. And so this was a constant thread that kept happening to me, like whether I was on the playground, whether I'm in a coffee shop and and it was the tone, you know, I think that Mm -hmm. I love, you know, meeting new people and engaging in conversation and And so I think, you know, when people have approached me in this way, it's been with a very condescending tone or a tone of like, hey, like, why are you here? Like, you don't belong here. And so that's, you know, that that's been, I I think, sort of to the to the point that you were making about when good intentions go wrong. Maybe, you know, the folks did have good intentions, but I think the way that it was delivered was not so great. And so. Mm-hmm. It just kind of became like a running joke in our family, like in and which is unfortunate, but it's like you have to make, you know, light of situations like this, right? Yeah. Like Yeah. So that's one example. <laughs> so that's one example. <laughs> um can you do you like, these conver- these questions can be asked because we have established this <laughs> Absolutely. And, like yeah. As someone, you know, I'm someone who like who loves to find out about like different cultures and stuff. Can you help me just 
feel into like how how that question lands and whether that's like the repetition of the question or is it like the, the like where are you from no where are you really yeah from? you know um yeah can you like break that down a little more totally and i think you know part of that has to do with like what you were saying in the beginning about like the importance of relationship like we're getting into these conversations because we know each other mm -hmm. and we're comfortable and so i think a lot of times if you know people are coming up to people because they're curious and they have a genuine curiosity but I think people need to check like, okay, what are my intentions and how is this going to land? And what is the best way to communicate this so that I, it feels welcoming and not, not unwelcoming, right? Yeah. And so I think a lot of times when people are genuinely curious, they oftentimes will have like a, an odd, like accusatory tone. And so I think the way to really draw someone in is just to start you know, if it's like a random person, I mean, if we're friends, it's totally different. You right. know, if, if, you know, you were to ask me more questions, I, of course, I would be 100% open because there's a relationship, there's trust there. And so I think when it's like, you're at a coffee shop, it's like, just have a conversation with somebody if they're different, but you're curious, like, just bring them in, like, through other topics and then say, Oh, like, you know, where did you grow up? Or like, I think this that assumption of where are you really from? Like, I think mm -hmm. you can say something like, where did you grow up? And it lands a lot differently because then it can go into a deeper conversation and it feels more mm -hmm. open. It almost feels trauma-informed. In what way? <laughs> well, because I think that when people um, say like, where are you really from? I think it can really hit at somebody at, in a in a way that's a lot deeper than they um, might be anticipating. Yeah. And especially for somebody who might, you know, be from a bunch of different cultures or hold bicultural identities and maybe not feel home anywhere and feel like a global nomad. And so it's kind of like, mm. ooh. Mm. You're you going know? straight there. You're it's going like, straight I don't know. Place. I don't know where I'm from. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do you want to have a like, psychological conversation? Yeah, like, yeah, Where yeah. are we yeah. going? Or do you yeah. just want coffee? <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm, I just came here to get some coffee. Uh, I'm, like, I'm, not trying to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to unpack all this today, y'all. <laughs> I like that, that idea, though, of, like, check your intention, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, saying, like, where are you from? That feels like, to me something that I'm trying to get for myself. Like I'm, you know, it's not about like getting to know someone else. It's actually about something that I'm trying to like, I don't know, like organize reality sure. or something. And that's typically not, you know, the first sentences you say to someone, but hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, <laughs> what are you, you looking up about, <laughs> Courtney? The what comes to mind is just imagine if um, a Native American person walked to a white person and said, hey, where are you really from? Mm. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Because the white people, oh, I'm here. See, that's the thing about like yeah. white people and white supremacy. They're free. They're free to do whatever the hell they want at any time. Mm -hmm. And so in their mind, like I am protecting my freedom. And so when they see something that's not familiar, what are you doing here in my house? Right, exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? And and so when they ask that, a lot of times it's in, in their minds like, hey, you're here, we welcome you, but I just need to know why are you existing yes. in this area when you should know better. Yeah. That's yeah. how I take it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's absolutely mm -hmm. right. And I think like to your point, Emily, what you were saying about, you know, 
somebody saying that and like checking your intentions, I mm. think, and it really also has to do with tone and how you, <laughs> how you mm. communicate it. I mean, another, I, I feel like this question has been asked. I've never had this question asked of me, like in any other part of the country. It's just been mm. here specifically. Oh, and in that tone, it's been uh-huh. in a coffee shop. It's been on the school playground. It's been on a hike, uh-huh. like a random, I'm just with on a hike <laughs> with my family, like, on a trail behind my house and somebody's like you where are you from and i'm like i'm from down the street like hi oh my god you know so it's like this constant like every co- i'm like i wait for it i'm like okay when's it going to happen next you know oh. and so it's interesting because it oftentimes will happen when i'm either alone or with my children and that was the first time it happened with my husband there and so he witnessed that and he was like oh okay it so this is what your it doesn't there. happen as much yeah it doesn't happen when he's there but it happened with him there and so he witnessed that and he was like oh okay like, like i see what you're talking about why do you think it doesn't happen with your husband i i don't know i think there's there's something there and i don't know what that energy is if is it is it like you know the assumption that you know based on the body I'm in and what I look like, you know, when I'm in the presence of a man, like I'm protected, quote unquote. Um, Is it because I am not somebody that's, I'm invisible, right? I'm not somebody that's viewed as somebody who speaks or has a voice, Mm. right? So like, I think I shared this with you um, a while back, but one of the things I also felt when we first moved out here was like, I felt like a walking stereotype. So I felt like, you know, I'd be in the middle of like, picture Pearl Street Mall. It's this beautiful outdoor mall, tons of flowers, beautiful shops, and I'm walking with my family. And it's almost like I would feel this energy of like, oh my gosh, look at the people. They made it here. They're here. Welcome. (laughs) And it's like this very weird um, energy and I just don't know what to make of it and it can well, people, feel like exhausting. people actually say that to you like they'll come up to me and smile like how are you and I'm like like okay like who are you you know just like I'm like just they're thinking you're from Afghanistan yeah like they're thinking like I really had these feelings that they're thinking I'm like a refugee from like Syria or Afghanistan and they're like hello you made it out like <laughs> and I'm like wow that's wow see it's it's audacity you know it's like I always tell, um, I always tell them, like, we have to be as audacious with this work as individuals are with the ignorance. Absolutely. Like, that's audacious for you mm-hmm. to just assume that I made it out. You don't know what my standing was in my country, right. who I was now that I'm here. Like, you don't know what I do, but just to be so accusatory and assuming that I made it out of something that was oppressive. Like I'm living in oppression now just by your tone of voice. Like you're putting me back if that was, it it, it kind of, it it, not kind of, it infuriates me. Yeah. Yeah. It takes me to a place where it's like, instead of us being friends, we already starting off on the wrong foot. Right. It's that gaze. It's that tone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's like, as a, as a doctor all the time I get, man, you don't look like a doctor. Mm. What? Mm, okay. Like, what? When? When you're in a white coat? No, like, like regular. Just regular. Regular. You know, but like, you, you, you know how I get down. You, you know how I dress all yeah. the time in sweats or hoodies sure. and sneakers, uh-huh. and and it's like I don't know what that means. Right. right. You know, right. we we both got the MD. We both took the test. We both yeah. understand the knowledge. I don't know what you have to look like. Yeah. 
you know? And so <laughs> it, it's like, all right, now it kind of, I got to double down. You so like back in the day, y'all say, oh, you're going to double down on the ignorance. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm about to double down too. Yeah. So now I got to, oh, now I got to wear sweatpants all the time. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah. I got to wear a hoodie to church now. Like yeah. that, that's yeah. what you make me do just to show you that we can look like this. Right. right. You know, and so when people say, oh my God, you're here. How am I supposed to take that? Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, it's like what you're saying about like, we both, you know, like when you were experiencing saying, I'm an MD, I'm a doctor. It's like, I'm an American. You're an American. It's like, what does an American look like? What is an American supposed to look like? Right. And uh, yeah, it's centering a very like rigid picture Mm -hmm. of like, what is, you know, what is an American supposed to look like? And who is it like, who's othered and who's on the outside and who's being welcomed in and just through like, and this is where I think it's so interesting, just through like what they're probably thinking of as a good intended, like, I want to be welcoming and inclusive and like right. celebrate, you know, but it's coming from a very ethnocentric um, <clears throat> picture of what this country is about. And totally. Yeah, I'm curious about how this is, things like um, comments like this may be connected to the work that's coming up for you now. And if you can tell us a bit about um, the retreat that you're starting to formulate. Totally. So I've been exploring um, this idea of, you know, rest as resistance. And and so uh, as part of my work, I'm um, collaborating with a fellow colleague and friend to plan for a women of color retreat in the summer for specifically right now. I mean, we're starting small for up to 10 women of color professionals who, you know, want to take time to rest and recover and rejuvenate. I mean, there's so much research that backs the claim that, you know, women of color in the workplace face a much heavier emotional toll because of biases and microaggressions that they have to constantly face uh, day in and day out. And so, you know, uh, I think a lot of this, there's a, I mean, there's a larger movement that's sort of popping up and it's like, how can we find the ways and explore the ways in which we can create healing spaces for folks to really get centered and grounded and start to move away from this idea that you have to produce at all times, (laughs) you know, how do we decolonize our minds around that concept? Right, right. I really appreciate what you represent. And I say that because, like, as an entrepreneur, you know, I, I love to see different forms of entre- entrepreneurship. And just what you represent is really motivating and inspiring for, for me to see you in that space as CEO, to hold that, oh, you know, and you. doing your thing. So just want to take a moment to appreciate you oh, and shine you so on you a little bit about that. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank <Go ahead>. you. <laughs> um, do you feel like you're hearing kind of a cry for this rest from women of color or are you feeling like this is something that like a permission that needs to be extended to rest or like where's yeah where's that? yeah I think it's both and okay I think it's both and I'm feeling like it's something that I've been feeling a lot and I've really been trying to cultivate for myself is this idea of spaciousness Hmm. And um, and then I've also been just hearing from people about how hard they're working. And, you know, a lot of what I just shared about, you know, my upbringing and sort of my experiences, you know, really 
also inspired me to go into the work that I'm doing around creating more just, equitable, inclusive spaces. I mean, I think for me, one of the main uh, reasons that sort of sparked my interest into exploring and advancing, you know, um, DEI in this way, diversity, equity, and inclusion is even just as a young child, you know, seeing my grandmother at the hospital, you know, being sick and, you know, being here as an immigrant with English not being her first language and not very, knowing very limited English and having no supports at a hospital setting for, you know, accommodating that language ability, you know, uh, for somebody. And so that felt like a systemic inequity. And I know that healthcare has now had a lot of advancements in that way, but it's still not completely there. And so I've always looked at inequities and just really always try to think deeply about how can we reduce that gap? You know, what are the ways that we can do that? What are the systems that need to be improved? What are the supports that people need to create, you know, to lessen those impacts and minimize that harm for folks so that they feel like they can really step into their identities, be their most authentic self and be productive in a way that feels grounding for them and not in the way that, you know, I don't know, like uh, the way that sort of post-industrial revolution factory mentality has made us think that work is supposed to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Courtney and I talk a lot about that moment of like going to the hospital and being in such a vulnerable situation and having that vulnerability exacerbated by the systems that are in place. And Mm -hmm. I, yeah, honestly, I can't, like, I can't really imagine like I, because you know, when I focus on my own experiences in hospitals, it's so loaded anyway, totally. you know? And like even getting like preventative stuff, it's like, right. oh God, you know, like, is everything okay? So that's a profound image of your, your grandmother. Yeah. yeah. And I think, what, you know, but going back to this theme of when good intentions go wrong and what you were saying earlier about like, I'm here, like this idea of like, I'm here too, and I, we're both in this space. I'm just thinking about other experiences I've had in the past around this idea of like constantly justifying my existence or the fact that I'm here and or I'm in this workplace. It's like, I would say like for some folks, the intention is there of like, I hired you, like we gave you this job, right? And so like, For example, like, you know, there have been times where this one is kind of heavy. This happened to me in my 20s. And I keep thinking, like, what would my 40-something-year-old self say to my 20-year-old self in this moment now? But I was in a job, you know, and I happened to be late to a meeting with one of my bosses. And so he was uh, somebody who would always make funny jokes, you know, and that's fine. Like, you know, I'm all about, you know, humor and having fun. But he took it too far. So I was late to this meeting. He had his hand up in front of him and his other hand, and he smacked his hand and he said, bad dog, three times to me. And I froze, y'all. Like, I froze, you know. Um, I was like, okay, like, that just happened. And And I was like, I'm really sorry that I was late to the meeting. And he was like, bad dog, bad dog, bad dog. And I was literally in shock. Oh, it's horrifying. I was, I don't know. I was literally in shock and I just sat in my chair and I really wrestled with, do I go to HR? Like, what do I do? I didn't go to HR. I didn't say anything. 
and I kept my mouth shut. And I think it was that human biological response of fight, flight, or freeze, right? I froze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was frozen. It took me a long time to thaw, y'all. I was like, okay, I'm I'm here 20-something years later, and I'm like, wow. Like, now I'm mad. Now I'm somebody who would have said something. Yeah. I have the confidence. I think, you know, when you don't have that much experience... Yeah. You feel like you're not in a position of power. You feel, I mean, that was, it was horrifying. But I think when I think about this idea of intention, it's like, you know, what is that? Like, what is that? Oh, you feel like, oh, you had the intention. Oh, look, I hired somebody. I hired a minority. So I'm good. I can say whatever I want, do whatever I want. One of the good ones. Right. We're we're buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. What would you say to your 20-year-old self? I would say... You need to get up and leave. Uh-huh. I would say that was not cool. I would just get up. I would leave. I would go to HR. Uh-huh. And But that, let's be real. Would HR do something? I don't know. But I would do that. Those were the steps. Those are the steps I would take. You can probably count on your experience being minimized in that yeah. situation. Right. Are you going to open yourself mm-hmm. up to yeah. that trauma? And Right. <sighs> Ugh. Yeah, I would have been moving some furniture in there. man you see i've always like this thing about your your grandmother and your experience and this one now is like i remember being in the hospital you know and wondering what's next Mm. for me you know what i mean like i felt incarcerated wow by because my people were outside you Mm -hmm. know and just there and not being able to be out there to to touch and heal and, and, and interact with. And so now like to use healthcare as the system to to increase equity is what like I, I love. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's such a vulnerable touch point for especially people of color. Absolutely. Because we've been manipulated, um, experimented on and and it just goes across all systems of inequity. You know, and so like to hear that it just again brought me back home. Like, damn, this is what I'm doing, and this yeah, is what I'm doing. One hundred percent. That's that's my background in public health, and so I'm always looking at the intersections between healthcare, how to improve healthcare, mm-hmm. and how to create more equitable spaces. Because yeah. you're right, that's a, one of the main touch points where we can hopefully improve the situation for folks. And the data is so clear in healthcare, right? That you Absolutely. can't argue against all the data that's there around. maternal health and all these different things, right? Were you doing DEI work before you came to To Colorado? Colorado? Yeah, I was. And I would say, you know, I was, I feel like I've always had this thread of uh, doing DEI work in all of my various roles that I've held, you know, working at a variety of community health centers and hospitals, sort of working on um, increasing access to care and improving, um, reducing health disparities, whether it's in a clinic setting or in a wider community setting. And then I would say like about, I would say I I more formally got involved with working on DEI practices within an organization about 10 years ago when I was working for a nonprofit in New Jersey and really looking at ways to create better hiring practices, making sure that, you know, the organization was reflecting the communities that were being mm-hmm. served. So really figuring out pathways to leadership uh, for folks who grew up in Camden, uh, you know, went to school in Camden and are now serving the patient population. Like, how are we lifting up folks from the city and making sure that, you know, 
the patients are seeing themselves reflected in the folks who are serving them. So I was able to start to get into that sort of organizational strategy piece when I was working out there. And then I, I got more formally involved with DEI work from a training lens out here when I was working at a local community health center here where I helped to um, redesign and co-facilitate a training curriculum that anybody who was being hired, whether it was a medical assistant or a medical director or a clinical manager, they all went through the same training to really help to make sure that there was shared language in place and a better understanding of, you know, how to work with uh, the variety of patients they were serving. So that's when I would say my more formal training experience happened. Mm -hmm. Do you imagine a future where, I, I'm just going back to the, the rest Mm -hmm. idea of rest is resistance and you know the characteristic of white supremacy culture of urgency yeah. and constantly working and, and valuing like being in the grind do you see any examples of companies that are like building in rest kind of like who are able to to i don't know counter that urgency because we know we do a lot better yeah restored. Yeah, I'm I've I've been hearing of uh different companies doing things like no meeting Fridays mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times what happens is like people are in back-to-back -back meetings all day and then it's like, well, when are you supposed to do the work from the meetings that you're having? Yeah. Um and then, you know, especially everything with the pandemic and shifting to this sort of virtual space and now, you know, evolving into a hybrid space, people are on a screen for like eight hours a day, back to back to back. They're not taking time to eat. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it feels like it's like an analogy to the cell phone of like, you can always be connected. You can mm -hmm. always go on Zoom or whatever platform you're using. Mm -hmm. um, I've also heard of companies doing, um, you know, in the summer, like summer Fridays, where people will have a half day every Friday throughout the summer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's That's so cool. many different ways that people, you know, can implement small changes like that to even create a more equitable like workday for themselves. I yeah. mean, I think we can also do that for ourselves where we make sure that we, you know, I think people really rely on calendars to know what people's schedules are like. And if they see a little sliver, they're like, I'm going to schedule something in there. And it's like, <laughs> no, like we shouldn't do that to somebody. Like, I think people have to like look at people's schedules and calendars through a more equitable lens and say, oh, okay, like this person's been back to back all day. Let's not do that. Or yeah. let's like check in with them and say, hey, maybe you should schedule a luncheon every day. Or <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think that I, do, I am yeah. seeing this. I've also been reading articles around this idea of a four-day work week or like oh, what would that. it be like? I, I also, I, I, I also came across something where I think before this idea of the 40-day work week, that came into play like over 50 years ago, like this idea of really a 15 to 20 hour work week was like being explored. And I really think that that's the most amount of time that people are productive anyway. Yeah. Like, what are, what, what is this? Otherwise they're just sitting around. They're just sitting around. If I work from three to five, I mean, I'm just like, yeah, what is that? I yeah. Can't I can't. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there are definitely models out there that, you know, all workplaces can adopt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends on the nature of your job as well. Obviously, you yeah. know, if you're working, you know, on the ground or in the community or in healthcare, like directly with folks, I mean, you know, but there's ways, I think there's ways to get creative and make sure that folks are able to take care of themselves. You see, the, 
100% agree with you, but the monster of poverty creates an urgency that sometimes won't allow you to do right. the 20 hours, yeah. you know? And so That's it's right. like, I can't eat unless I do 40. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the more money you make, the less you actually work, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so if you're on the bottom rung of on a poverty scale, like, you're working more than 40 hours a week. You probably never see 40 hours a week. That's right. Like you wish for the day to see 40 hours, you know? Yeah. And, and like you're never home with your family and you, you're, it's just exacerbating a problem with the lack of family presence, mom, dad, exactly. like relationships with your brothers and sisters. Like every home that I've encountered, um, a lot of times when dealing with the community that I serve, it's like we gotta, we, we don't have time to even get to know each other. Right. You know, and so like I like rest is resistance. It's showing that like whether or not we have enough money on the standard of being here in America, family is the most important thing. And so we got to figure it out, you know, and so sacrificing income for time with family sounds good, but Mm -hmm. I don't don't know. That's the thing. And this is because of years of like uh-huh. systems that have created this issue and, yeah. and this is going to take years to dismantle exactly it's interesting because i'm realizing like what you're referencing with the 40 work week and what i've read about that too is that it's look it's really looking at people on salary right mm-hmm. and it's not looking at people who are working wow. hourly because right. that would just you know you'd have to pay them three two-thirds more or whatever like that's 100 percent. so it's almost like yeah rest is a privilege even you know it is. And, it is. Um, the, with the system that we have going now how would we encourage rest for people who are, who are already working two jobs you know it's like that term essential worker like mm-hmm. when i was in i was like yo this is bullshit like you're marketing something as essential mm-hmm. worker like you're not a essential worker you're essential for people who are essential right like that's <laughs> again oh, we, interesting, yeah. you know what i mean like you're not an essential worker yeah, yeah. Because you're you're being sacrificed. A you're pandemic. Not someone we are honoring right. as like. Yeah. And so it was always marketed. Oh my God! Thank God for these essential workers. No, no, that's that's BS, man. Like I, it, it's it's just always let's sacrifice individuals who are already overburdened right. by where we live and how we live in this country. Let's give let's put more on it back. They're messed up by COVID, but it's cool. They're essential workers. Right. <laughs> so twisted. It's, it's yeah. yeah. And I mean, even thinking about like, you know, if we bring it back and like look at like the United States from a healthcare outcomes perspective, and mm. even, you know, this idea that, you know, mothers don't get maternity leave um, in this country. And it, it, it's, it's horrifying. I actually had my daughter in Canada. So I had the opportunity mm. to experience how different that was yeah. from here. Every, um, you know, woman who is working, their job is secured. They have a year paid leave. There is up to six months paternity leave. Um, Their job is waiting for them when they come back, you know. And, you know, somebody in the meantime gets an opportunity to be in their position temporarily. Right. So it's such a beautiful, completely different system from the states. And and I. And it also allows for, you know, rest can mean so many different things, so many people. One of it is, you know, spending time with your family, having the opportunity to spend time with your family without having the stress of money uh, in a way that is 
creating healthier societies. And I feel like at the end of the day, isn't that what folks want? Yeah. (laughs) See, the the misconception is people of affluence, they know that. Right. Like, they don't get it twisted. Like, they know it's important to rest and this and that. That's why they have great retreats and this and that. Mm -hmm. But again, essential workers, somebody has to make sure the like when when they fight immigration and they fight certain things, it's like they're only doing it up to a point. Right. <laughs> like no one's crazy. Who else is gonna do those jobs? Mm-hmm. You know, and so like they know rest is important. But when you start talking about rest for people of color, that's an issue. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love the rest resistance thing. I love that. Uh just coming back to the idea of um when good in- intentions go wrong and could you speak to us a little bit about like like breaking down the, the concept of emotional labor and the tax that that comes with and the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll share another story, you know, when good intentions go wrong. I <laughs> You have a long list. <laughs> I, I think I could write a book. <laughs> but like one story is, you know, I was a part of a senior leadership team of this healthcare nonprofit. I was tasked to um, give a presentation for a new program we wanted to pilot. And so it was a presentation that was going to take place at a hospital, lots of old white men in boardrooms, right? So I'm going in with another colleague of mine. I think the other challenge here is in addition to uh, being in the body that I'm in, I can appear younger. And so you know, these things can oftentimes lead to uh, not being taken seriously. And so when I arrived at the meeting, there were a bunch of, you know, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, you know, all all the C's, the C-suite. And, um, you know, I arrive and they're like, oh, hi, how are you? And they know me, they've seen me before. And they're like, okay, they're like, okay. So, and then they're looking beyond me, like sort of above my shoulder. And I'm like, who's he, who's he looking for? I'm here, right? And so, um, you know, like this idea of like, oh, I have the great intention of inviting this person to my meeting, but yet I'm still looking for the man who works on the same team as Nadia to give this presentation. Mm. And so, you know, so he's like, oh, is so-and-so coming? And I'm like, nope. It's it's just me, like, and there, and then it's like you saw like the energy completely like deflate. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And I was like, okay. And so then like my other colleague, she comes in, and also you know a young woman, and so we both give a presentation, and it went great. And the other folks in the room, you know, were totally bought into the program. We formed a great partnership. It was great, but it was just this like idea of like this person had this intention of like, oh, I, I've welcomed this person already. They, we know them. The fact that I know them should, and the fact that they are in my presence mm-hmm. is just, is good enough, right? It's not that like you value my opinion or that I can be a leader too, or that I can be taken seriously too. Right. It's it's just like all of that's dismissed, you know? How do you come back from that in the moment? Like go from that feeling to like, I think that's like my baseline, right? Like, I feel like I have to expect that to Uh some degree in order to survive. It's like a survival. It's the reality that we're in. You know, I mean, I given everything that's going on right now in the world, all the unfortunate news that we've been hearing from across the world. You know, I just want to pose this question to folks like, who do you think about? 
who pops in your mind when you hear the word refugee or victim of war, right? Or like who comes to mind when, you know, you think about somebody, you know, who is an immigrant or somebody who is civilized uh-huh. or modern, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. The media has been portraying, you know, brown and black folks in a way that is so infuriating. We're uncivilized. Mm-hmm. We're uncivilized, right? And so, so like, where, what's down. the intention there, y'all? So let me <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. No, I'm doubling down. Uh, I'm uncivilized. Yes. Let's go. I'm like, you know, it's it's like when you're living and breathing and you know working and you're trying to do good in the world and you're you know trying to be. I'm constantly in spaces where I stick out like a sore thumb or like I'm you know I'm just doing what I, I'm, I'm passionate about and I'm trying to make yeah. make way. For others, and so, and then you see that reinforced in the media over and over again, over and over, over, and, over. and over again, and that's exhausting. Yes. That's exhaust. Like it takes a toll on you. Like you try to keep, you try, and that's where rest comes in. And you're like, I gotta take a break because no, I do not have to explain anything to you. No, I do not have to sit here and tell you why I'm feeling like this. Like I'm gonna take a break for a minute mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is rough. We see that's a, and that's a gift and a curse because we've normalized people of color have normalized yes. the ignorance. Yes. And so if it doesn't happen, we're like, oh, oh. damn, then what, what, yeah. what's going on? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. You know. So it's it's just weird. And so like, when I go into a room, I'm expecting ignorance. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. You know, I mean, it's just sad. You know, you see all of these this news media coverage and talking about you know children of European descent versus talking about children, you know, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. And I'm like, they're chi- they're all children. Yeah. 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 I mean, did you see the things being like the, the reports being passed around of like reporters that are like, we're not talking about Syria, Afghanistan yes. here. We're yeah. talking yeah. about European yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Are exactly. you fucking kidding yeah. me? You see did that? you just say that? Yeah. yeah. Did you just yeah. say that? Yeah. Of course. And it's, Yeah. We expect this to be happening in Africa. And right. it's like, well, what's happening is they're not allowing the Africans to right. leave. Exactly. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh, it yeah. is. It is. Oh. So as we wrap up, tell us more about your retreat and like yes. what, how people get connected with that and what, how long that's going to be like. What's yeah. Gonna so like? it's going to take place. What does place... look like? I yeah. <laughs> so it's going to take place in uh, mid-June. And uh, like I mentioned, we are um, looking to host up to 10 uh, women of color. It's going to be from Friday to Sunday. And Mm -hmm. what we're really hoping to do is just create a sense of community, be in a beautiful space, have access to nature, access to good food, doing a lot of conversations, you know, having the ability to have conversations with others who can understand Mm -hmm. the experience. And I think that is so validating when, you know, you don't feel so isolated, like you're on an island experiencing this on your own. I mean, it's not, you know, shared experience is real. And, you know, even if it's not good experience, it still feels comforting to know that, like, you're not the only one. And to be seen. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so, you know, it's going to be from a Friday to Sunday, just doing a lot of wellness activities, nature, you know, activities like hiking and biking and just being nourished by good food, 
relaxing, you know, conversating. Like that's what rest and rejuvenation mean to me, really. Yeah. Like spending time with friends and family, like traveling, reading, yeah. cooking, you know, just ordinary things. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is you're doing a, a fundraiser for it as well? Yes. And okay. so my Instagram page is at Idea Labs in Action. And um, I am going to actually be linking up my um, GoFundMe page on my Instagram, like my link will be in my bio so mm-hmm. that if folks are interested in learning more or contributing or sponsoring in some way, they can go there. Okay. I love it. Great. Yeah. So we'll put that in the show. Thank notes you so as well. much. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience. Your stories are so important to be heard, you yes. know, and I thank really, you. really appreciate you sharing them. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate getting to share space with you here at Longmont Public Media yes. as well. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> awesome. So everyone have a great day. Any final words? Any final thoughts? No, I don't have any final thoughts. I just think that this idea of, I just really encourage people to really explore this idea of rest as resistance mm-hmm. and, you know, what that means. And, you know, also think about, you know, just take a minute before you ask a question or approach somebody and think about how you're approaching them and also be mindful of the types of media you're consuming mm-hmm. and you know what what kinds of stereotypes might be reinforced through them yeah mm. these are all choices that we can make yeah thank you thank you thank you thanks for joining us on this episode of humanize Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanized Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.